unseasonably cool Saturday evening in April of 1979, death stalked 63-year-old Anna Williams and her 24-year-old granddaughter, Rebecca, in a small house next to a gully at 615 South Pinecrest Street in Wichita, Kansas. Dennis Rader, also known as BTK, was excitedly hiding in her closet, waiting for Ms. Williams to come home so that he could finally complete Project Pinecone, his codename for their brutal murders he had been anxiously planning for months. Unfortunately for Raider, fate would step in for both women in unbelievable ways, sparing their lives. By July 1984, with no breaks in the case, investigators developed a BTK task force nicknamed the Ghostbusters. With seven years' worth of DNA evidence, lists of males who lived within one and a quarter mile of the victims, a list of white males attending Wichita University between 1974 and 1979, the names of everyone who checked out the engineering book where the Otero letter was found, and the addition of a computer consultant to the team, investigators were able to generate 225 possible suspects. Was Dennis Rader on any of these lists or named as a potential suspect? Stay tuned as we find out just how close Anna Williams came to becoming BTK's eighth victim, and how close investigators really were to taking Dennis Rader off the streets. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the American Serial Killer Guidebook. Help out the show by giving us a like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode of our in-depth series on the crimes and capture of BTK, one of America's most notorious serial killers. In the 70s and 80s, women would check to see if their phone lines were cut to know if they were safe. Now that cell phones are the norm, how will you know if the boogeyman is in your closet, waiting for you in the dark? In June of 1978, after 55 years of marriage, Clarence R. Williams died after a brief illness, making Anna Williams of Wichita, Kansas, a widow. Shortly after, her 24-year-old granddaughter, Rebecca Chavez, moved in to help care for her 63-year-old grandmother while she looked for work. Over the next year, Miss Williams' daughter, Eleanor Chavez, talked her into finding activities to fill her time rather than just sitting home alone which is when she discovered square dancing. It was one of the Saturday evening square dances on April 28, 1979, when Dennis Rader, who had spotted her granddaughter a couple of months before walking into the house at 615 South Pinecrest Street, parked his truck a few blocks down the street by a nearby bridge. Rader had been stalking the woman and her granddaughter for weeks and knew Miss Williams would be out on Saturday evenings but believed Rebecca would be home alone due to being unemployed. Thinking Rebecca was in the house, Raider took almost an hour sneaking along the gully, then around back, cut the phone line, and quietly broke the glass on a basement window, making his way inside. Once in the basement, he took his time observing his surroundings and listening to try to identify where Rebecca might be located on the first floor, but after not hearing anything for a while, he slowly made his way up the stairs. It didn't take long to realize he was alone in the house which threw him off because any other Saturday he'd sat down the street waiting for Anna to come home. Her granddaughter had been there. She was unemployed, so Raider guessed that maybe she had gone out to run an errand or see a friend, so he decided to rummage through the house and see what he could find until she came home and the fun could begin. First, he went into the spare bedroom where Rebecca stayed, going through her vanity and closet, picking out clothes he liked before entering Anna's room looking for more clothes and rifling her jewelry box for trophies. 
While going through her dresser, he found a rolled-up sock in the back of the drawer with $35 stashed. So he figured, why not? Raider spent the next two hours waiting for someone to come home, which is when he decided that it was Anna Williams, who should have been home by then, who was responsible for his plan not working out. So she became his number one target, although if he could still get both, it would be a perfect hit. While waiting, Raider thought it would be easier to hide his tools rather than try to come out of the closet with them. So he pulled Anna's bed away from the wall and put them there along with some bindings he'd made from the clothes he'd found and some wire he was planning on hanging them with. It was around 10.45 p.m. when Dennis Raider decided he couldn't wait any longer and that Project Pinecone would go uncompleted. At times like these, he regretted having a wife and child at home. He couldn't do what he needed because he always had to come up with excuses for being late and making up reasons to leave the house or not attend family functions. His wife and daughter were why he had to go now, and he knew he would soon fantasize again about all he could do if he was a lone wolf. Raider gathered his hit kit, looked through the house, and left where he came in. Being the emotional terrorist that he was, he felt it would be thoroughly devastating to leave his bindings and wire beside the bed, which had been BTK's calling card, so that Anna would know what had awaited her and her granddaughter if they had come home on time that fateful night. Fifteen minutes after Dennis Rader left the home of Anna Williams and her granddaughter, Rebecca Chavez, Miss Williams pulled into her driveway just before 11 p.m. after an evening of square dancing. After entering the house and putting her things on the kitchen table, she noticed the door to her spare bedroom was open. Her granddaughter, Rebecca, had gotten a job the week before and told her earlier in the day that she had been called into work and wouldn't be home until midnight, so no one should have been in her room. When she walked in, she noticed the vanity was open and had been gone through, and the closet door was open with clothes scattered around the room. Once she reached her room, she saw her jewelry boxes were empty. Her dresser drawers were open and some of her clothes and underthings were missing. Anna immediately thought about BTK and rushed to her phone to call the police, soon realizing the line must be cut when she didn't hear a dial tone. This is when she quickly left the house and used her neighbor's phone to call the police ten minutes later. Wichita Police Officer Orlando Martinez was dispatched to her residence at 615 South Pinecrest Street. Officer Martinez quickly identified BTK's M.O. and called the investigators assigned to his crimes. Anna and Rebecca left the same night and moved in with Anna's daughter and son-in-law, Eleanor and Pete Chavez, who were also Rebecca's parents. Over the next few months, Anna only went to her house on Pinecrest to get clothes or items she needed and to check the mail because, with her husband gone and proof that she had been hunted by BTK, she wasn't about to give him a second chance just in case he was watching the house. On June 15, 1979, Anna and Rebecca went to the house to check the mail, since it had been a few days, and that is when she noticed a manila envelope addressed to her deceased husband, Clarence R. Williams, care of Anna. When she opened it, all the terror of that cool Saturday evening in April came flooding back. Inside was a poem entitled, Oh Louise, Why Didn't You Appear?, with the name Louise crossed out and replaced with Anna. Also inside was a drawing of a nude, bound, and gagged young woman who resembled Rebecca bent over a bed, including a scarf and jewelry, both of which had been stolen during the April break-in. Pete Chavez called Wichita police, who dispatched detectives George Anderson and Richard Zortman to interview Miss Williams and collect the evidence. The next day, June 16, 1979, 
Lieutenant Bernie Jawatsky was notified that local Wichita, Kansas station KAKE-TV had received a similar manila envelope the same day as Miss Williams containing similar items. The TV station received the same poem and drawing, but included a scarf and two plastic clips belonging to Anna Williams and taking during the same break-in where Dennis Rader very nearly claimed his eighth and potentially ninth victims. These communications would be the last received from BTK for the next 25 years. The following is the poem to Anna Williams in its entirety. Oh, Anna, why didn't you appear? T'was perfect plan of deviant pleasure so bold on that spring night. My inner feeling hot with the propension of the new awakening season. Worn, wet with inner fear and rapture, my pleasure of entanglement. Like new vines at night. Oh, Anna, why didn't you appear? Drop of fear, fresh spring rain would roll down from your nakedness descent to lofty fever that burns within. In that small world of longing, fear, rapture, and desperation game we play, fall on devil ears. Fantasy spring forth, mounts to storm fury, then winter claim at the end. Oh, Anna, why didn't you appear? Alone, now in another time span I lay with sweet and rapture garments across most private thought. Bed of spring-moist grass, clean from the sun. Enslaved with control, warm wind scenting the air, sunlight sparkle tears and eyes so deep and clear. Alone again, I trod in past memories of mirrors and pondered why number eight was not. Oh, Anna, why didn't you appear? After four years of no victims and no communication from BTK, Two teams of Wichita, Kansas detectives collected saliva and blood samples from over 200 potential suspects, identified by their computer system. All samples were collected voluntarily with only five men refusing, and after doing blood tests, all but seven were eliminated, not including the five who failed to provide samples. In July 1984, investigators started the BTK task force, calling themselves the Ghostbusters. They hired a computer consultant to analyze the mountain of data and DNA they'd collected over the last seven years. The task force managed to determine that all victims lived within three and a half miles of one another and that the Xerox machine used to copy the letters was located at the Wichita State University Library, as the poem Ode Death to Nancy was taken from a poem entitled Ode Death that was published in a Wichita University textbook located at the same library. Of the 225 suspects derived from the lists mentioned in the opening, the Ghostbusters set out to eliminate them individually, eventually leading to more questions than answers. Little did investigators know they wouldn't have to wait long for BTK to strike again. Leaving behind the body of his eighth victim and neighbor, 53-year-old Marine Hedge, Raider changed up his M.O. with her murder. She was the first one taken from the scene of her murder when Raider took her to Christ Lutheran Church after hours, where he attended and worked as the congregation president. There he took pictures of her nude body in various poses before putting her back in the trunk, driving her seven miles out into the country, and dumping her in a ditch before covering her with limbs and brush. That's it for episode five of our series on the crimes of BTK. Make sure to check out the next episode to find out what happened when BTK decided to hunt down and murder a woman who only lived six doors down from where he and his family lived. Please help support the show with a like and subscribe, leave us a review, 
and check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for a lot of extra information on America's most prolific serial killers. Thanks again, and don't forget to pay attention to the vehicles on your street because you never know who might be there waiting, watching, planning. Thank <laughs> you.